Welcome to the Who to Thunk It podcast with Zeb, episode 14. This episode is about uh, Mike the Durable Malloy. From August 1929 to March 1933, the Great Depression affected the entire world. The global GDP, uh, gross, domestic, gross domestic product, declined by 27%, and at one point, the global unemployment rate was at 25%. During the time, uh, people did whatever they could to put food on the table and a roof over their heads. Ask your grandparents. Chances are they have some stories from their parents or grandparents of what life was like during the Great Depression. What was it like? Well, life during the Great Depression was depressing. To make matters worse, it happened during America's prohibition on any alcoholic beverage. So if a drinking establishment, like a bar, wanted to continue operating, they had to do it under a cover of secrecy. Bars became what is known as a speakeasy, an undercover bar. Our story revolves around events that occurred in just that are just such an establishment. Tony Marino's Mermaid Speakeasy on Third Avenue in New York City. Tony was a 27-year-old speakeasy owner in the Bronx during the Prohibition, so he was used to patrons coming in, starting tabs, and seldom closing them. He, like everyone else at the time, was low on cash, but selling alcohol during Prohibition wasn't his only hustle. Tony knew a local hairdresser by the name of Maybell Betty Carlson. Uh, who was down on her luck and needed a place to stay. On St. Patrick's Day, 1932, the 27-year-old Maybell was found dead at 38069 on 3rd Avenue, right next door to the speakeasy. It was Tony's apartment. Cause of death was bronchopneumonia, with an acute chronic alcoholism as a causing factors. Tony offered her a place to sleep, but then decided he could take out a $2,000 insurance policy on Maybell. One night, he offered her free alcohol, and once she had a few too many, he continued to force-feed it to her. Tony then stripped her naked, laid her in a bed next to a window, and doused her in ice-cold water on a cold March night, St. Patrick's Day. Tony was able to collect a $2,000 without, $2, without a problem, an amount worth about $38,000 today. Some cold-blooded stuff right there. Tony Marino murdered a woman who was down on her luck and homeless, took advantage of her, murdered her, just for $38,000 that's putting a price on a human life. In July of 1932, Francis Pasqua, Frank Pasqua, a 24-year-old undertaker, Daniel Kreisberger, a 29-year-old father of three working at a grocery store, Joseph Red Murphy, the bartender, Hershey Green, the cab driver, and Tony Marino himself were all sitting around the bar, and they stayed late one night. Over a round of drinks, they devised a sinister plot, a plot that would later give their group the moniker of the Murder Trust. Each one of the Murder Trust members bringing something to the table for this plot, Tony, having done it himself already with Maybell, and the other ones playing their part. Red, the bartender, took out three life insurance policies on one of their regulars, Mike Malloy, under a fake name. Altogether, they were $1,788, these three life insurance policies. That comes out to about $31,000 today. But if they could make Mike's death look like an accident, the pay would double. No problem. Mike Malloy was a speakeasy bar fly. He wandered in to the bar each and every morning and drank until he passed out by early afternoon. If he left, 
it was just to go to the next bar over and where he'd drink his weight and whiskey all over again. It was a common scene back then. With New York averaging 780 deaths a year from alcohol poisoning, one more wouldn't really cause much fuss. Plus, it seemed the only thing that had kept Mike from drinking himself to death already was lack of funds. So the murder trust attempted to basically just get him so drunk till he died. Alcohol can do that to you. Warning, drinking too much alcohol, you can die. And they thought, if we just let him drink for free, he'll probably drink himself to death. Mike was one of those homeless, like many, a homeless guy in, in the Great Depression. And they thought that would work. This first attempt at ending Mike's life via alcohol poisoning proved problematic. It seemed Mike's tolerance for alcohol was nothing short of a miracle. Tony realized that to continue, he might end up pouring more money down Mike's throat than he would make on the insurance claim. That's a lot of money, but Mike had quite the tolerance. <laughs> Multiple times, they would welcome Mike into the bar like a king, and they fed him free drinks. But over and over, he woke up the next morning expecting more. They tried force-feeding him the alcohol like they did Maybell. They tried to give him all the alcohol they could. Nothing did it. He was fine. So one night, the murder trust uh, put methanol alcohol distilled from wood. Not supposed to drink it. Methanol alcohol, not supposed to drink at all. And denatured alcohol. It's very poisonous and is designed to be undrinkable. They put those in Mike's drinks. And when they sent him off that night, they thought he'd finally kick the bucket. But guess who came back <laughs> to Tony Marino's speakeasy the very next day after drinking alcohol on our poisonous alcohol night? He was expecting free drinks. Mike seemed unaffected by the poisonous alcohol. Maybe Mike's liver was indestructible, the murder trust thought. But what about his stomach? The next day, they offered Mike a house special sardine sandwich. It was super special because they found a very old can of sardines that smelled of rot and threw them between two, two pieces of bread. To make sure it did the trick, they added a couple extras to make it special. They added broken glass carpet tax and the can itself the sardine can was trued up ground up into metal bits and thrown in the mix all this in a sandwich those ingredients are cringeworthy to us broken glass but to a perpetual drunk with a bottomless tab like mike that sandwich hit the spot when he finished it it reported he just slapped his belly and asked for another one Red found a jar of old oysters pickled in denatured alcohol. As a chemist, Red knew oysters and liquor is a fatal mix. So Red let Mike devour all the oysters and prop their nastiest bottle of liquor next to him. Mike ate every oyster with a smile on his face and washed down the dirty liquor to boot. He showed no side effects. So, so far they tried to give him way more alcohol than anyone should, should be able to digest. They put methanol alcohol in it. They put denatured alcohol which is highly poisonous they fed him broken glass carpet tacks and bits of aluminum can and then they gave him oysters and old liquor he's fine the next next the murder trust turned to mother nature's cruel winter to do the job once again they got mike blackout drunk as they had been doing many times at this point at the speakeasy then dragged him to a bench in crotona park where winter nights get down to about 26 degrees on average. 26 degrees. That's that is Fahrenheit. That is below below freezing. They stripped Mike of his coat and shirt and then doused him in cold water. It was so cold that night that Frank Pasqua, one of the murder trust uh, members, the Undertaker, he contracted a nasty head cold from dragging his victim. 
So one of the one of the murder trusts gets a cold, and they did not expect Mike Malloy to ever leave that bench alive. They were wrong. As drunk as Mike was, the cold seemed to jolt him awake. He turned up at the speakeasy the next morning telling the story of how he got so drunk he woke up on a park that he didn't even remember visiting. <laughs> then with a grin, he promptly asked for more free booze from the murder trust. <laughs> Booze, broken glass, and the cold had failed to kill Mike, so the murder trust tried to hire two men to run him over with their car, but they refused. So the trust found Harry Hershey Green, a willing cab driver, to do the deed. Mike was found laying in the street on January 30th. He was taken to the hospital for, broke, for a broken shoulder and a skull fracture. The murder trust checked the obituaries in the paper and to see if Mike had died from his injuries, and... They kept checking. Day after day, he wasn't in there. Well, they got their answer one week after uh, when Mike walked back in the speakeasy proclaiming, man, I'm dying for a drink, boys. <laughs> the murder trust became desperate. Every night, they continued to give Mike Malloy free booze until he passed out, at which point they tried every type of murder. So they kept trying everything. Forgetting about their need to make it look like an accident, they got so desperate they tried to shoot him with a machine gun. But good old Mike Malloy escaped. They even tried beating him on the head repeatedly, but Mike just brushed it all off like it was nothing. In total, there were nine murder attempts, all while pouring endless drinks for a professional alcoholic, and all nine attempts at murder had failed. The murder trust had sunk $1,875 into free booze, food, planning, and paying off various accomplices. All of this, so they've already sunk in $1,875, and this was all for a $3,500 insurance policy split five ways. <laughs> so it wasn't looking very good. Iron Mike Malloy was slowly, slowly and unknowingly drinking his way out of murder. <laughs> He still had no idea. Not only did he escape all these murder, he didn't. He was he was so oblivious. He didn't even care. <laughs> he was just happy to be fed fed free alcohol. So one night, the murder trust decided to give Mike an extra treat on top of his bottomless tab. They booked him a room on the street or just up the street from Mike Malloy, and just so he could sleep in after he passed out. That night, the murder trust dragged Mike up to the room, threw him on the bed, and put the pipe used to fuel the gas lamp into Mike's mouth. They turned on the gas, and 20 minutes later, the durable Iron Mike Malloy died from asphyxiation by carbon monoxide. The murder trust paid off a doctor to sign the official cause of death to be lobar pneumonia. This allowed them to collect the insurance money on his death. They buried Mike Malloy's body in the cheapest coffin they could find and stuck him in a $12 grave. They cared so little for his funeral and rushed it that they failed to embalm Mike's body. At one point, the murder trust had given up on killing Mike, so they tried pinning the fake insurance policy on another unemployed down-on-his-luck Irishman. Hershey Green tried killing this man with his cab, but failed again, just like they did with Mike. While this other victim was recovering in the hospital, he started talking to police. Unlike Mike Malloy, he noticed something fishy with his attempted murder. The case caught the eye of the district attorney eventually, who was surprised to find Mike Malloy's body wasn't embalmed when he exhumed it for a second autopsy. Had the murder trust treated Mike's body with respect and embalmed him properly, all traces of the gas they used to kill him would have been destroyed, and they would have escaped the murder charge. Plus, the two men tried hiring to run tried hiring the two men that they the murder trust tried to hire to run over Mike, but then they refused. 
had then been called in for material witnesses. Everything started to come together on this murder trust. In 19th of October, a jury found Tony Marino, Frank Pasqua, Dan Kreisberg, and Red Murphy guilty of first-degree murder. They were executed by electric chair. Hershey Green, the cab driver, however, was sentenced to five to ten years for vehicular assault. No one knew about Mike's past during these events, probably not even Mike. But it turns out he was an immigrant from Donegal, Ireland, who worked as a stationary engineer until all the work dried up. Since his death, the durable Iron Mike Malloy has inspired plays, novels, music, and is forever a part of New York City's cultural history. He is buried in Ferncliff Cemetery in Hartsdale, New York, with no headstone, 3,000 miles away from his home. He was born in 1873 and died in 1933. So what do we learn about this? In this time of the pandemic, everybody, a lot of people are having economic troubles and they're probably not going to get better anytime soon. It's going to be a long uphill battle. You can't just turn on people. We can't just start trying to murder people in our neighborhoods to get a quick buck. But even but the awesome part about the story that drag, drags you into it, why Mike Malloy is so famous, is because he's basically like the, the Bronx Rasputin. Survived like nine different murder attempts. <laughs> just kept coming back every day. Iron Mike Malloy is quite the character. I'd like to give some of my credit here to um, the journal.ie. It is by Dan McGill is the best story I had. I saw on it. Iron Mike Malloy, the Donegal man. They tried to kill nine. They tried nine times to kill. That's the journal. E. The man who wouldn't die by the Smithsonian magazine. Com. The Irish post.com also had a story on there. And as always, I use Wikipedia sometimes just to pull certain names together and stuff. Um, Thanks for listening to Who to Thunk It podcast, episode 14 on Iron Mike Malloy. I am your host, Zeb. I hope you tune in next week. I'm still keeping this podcast strong, and I appreciate all of your – I appreciate all my listeners. I hope you like it. Feel free to leave a, a voice message. And until next week, I will see you guys later. <laughs>